I grew up, you know, actually with no self-esteem. I was angry, didn't like myself, didn't like anyone else. And I was looking for, looking for something to fit into another family. And of course, the Ku Klux Klan was right there in my backyard. Hate can form at an early age. So I came up with a plan. I said, well, I'm going to go to one more rally over in Alabama. And after that, I'm backing up. I'm turning my back and walk away. And that's what I did. And I didn't know what was going to happen because sometimes you do that, you end up dead. Throughout our project, we've explored how hate manifests, the impacts on victims and communities, and current actions being employed to combat hate. Now we meet those who have left behind the road of hate and embarked on a path of redemption. I'm Storm Jones. This is Hate in America. This chapter reformed lives as once prominent racists disavow their past in pursuit of redemption. News 21 fellow Tilly Marlatt has the story. Life for Scott Shepard wasn't easy as a child. I was born into a, a family that was very dysfunctional, alcoholic father. They was very violent. Uh, he would take you know, come in in drunken rage and take a butcher knife and cut your mattresses up, you know, all the mattresses in the house. You know, of course, there times where he threatened, my, well, he did beat my mother, but threatened to kill her. And, you know, I heard all these things as a young kid. All of these experiences as a kid left Scott wanting a new family. And at the age of 16, he found one. This group, with a pretty colorful history, welcomed him with open arms. I went to a Klan rally in Chippewa, Mississippi. The Imperial Wizard was there, different leaders, and that's when a lot of them put their arm around me and said, we'll take you and take care of you. We know you had a hard life. I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Life was terrible. I was a frightened child. I was a beaten child. I was afraid to, I was afraid to come home after school. That's Duke Schneider, and like Scott, Duke also had a very violent childhood. The beatings that he experienced from his mom and sister left him so sore at times that he could barely sit down. He remembers one particular day when he was watching vintage TV, and a documentary changed how he looked at life. And all I saw for the few, for the less than a minute was um, brutality, things of that nature, and I'm just saying to myself, you know, I'd like to see this. And then I'm watching how, you know, there was no law in uh, the Third Reich, but, uh, but, but the, the word and the will of Adolf Hitler. And I'm saying to myself, you know something, maybe, I, maybe someday I'll look out and I'll be, and, and, and I'll be uh, just like he was. Despite being just a child, Duke's fascination with life as a neo-Nazi and Adolf Hitler began to form. And for eight years, Duke was a member of the National Socialist Movement a group of individuals who believe in white supremacy and neo-Nazi ideology? When I joined the movement originally, it was an undercover uh, capacity. But just like anything else, I got caught up in the machinery and I actually became part of the works. Duke moved through the ranks of the National Socialist Movement rather quickly, eventually becoming the bodyguard for the chairman of the movement, Jeff Scoop. And it was soon after becoming a brown shirt that I got a telephone call telling me that they're moving me into the SS division. And uh, with that, that's when things really started to um, blossom. 
and uh, they put me right to work and I was very successful at uh, many of the projects that I was involved in. Scott was also just as successful during his time in the Ku Klux Klan. Well, I was about 19, 20 years old and was, you know, was the Grand Dragon. And that usually is something that does, you know, doesn't happen at that, you know, at that young age. But despite Scott's success, he always had this voice in the back of his mind asking him, is what I'm doing wrong? Scott had just finished eating and drinking at a restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee, when he went to leave and was pulled over by the police. He was arrested for possession of drug paraphernalia, possession of a loaded weapon, and driving under the influence. That threw me into the court system. Of course, I was getting, you know, I had a black lawyer and I knew, I knew that lawyer would, actually that lawyer defended me several, on several different things, but I knew when he found out my past, I was fried. He wasn't gonna, you know, wouldn't defend me or, or do, the, do the job he was supposed to do, but I was wrong. He did, he stood up and fought, fought head to, you know, heads and tails for me. Scott's lawyer did fight for him. He said, Scott, you need to check into therapy. But I went to the Alcohol Drug Treatment Center, which was Cumberland Heights in Nashville, and I went in one person and came out another. Scott left a changed man, and two and a half years later, he left the Klan. I walked out with a different look outlook on life, and, and I always say, you know, drug, alcohol and drug treatment centers treat alcohol alcohol and and drug abuse but it also can treat racism and really realize that the problem was not people above the color religion sexual preferences anything this problem was me scott for duke schneider his life was changed in 2012. Uh, i was diagnosed with um, uh, throat or thyroid cancer back in uh, August of uh, 2012. Cancer transformed Duke in more ways than one. At the time of his diagnosis, he had been protecting a woman named Catherine. But now it was time for Catherine to protect Duke. He needed a caretaker while he battled cancer. And somewhere along the lines, the two fell in love. Not that it was too much of a surprise to anyone. It seemed only natural that two people with broken pasts would come together. And uh, even my youngest son, Richard, said, he said, Dad, that's, that's the biggest thing that you needed in life was, uh, well, you know, what, what, what was a wife like her? Catherine is black, but to Duke, he said that didn't change how he felt about her. I was never in the market for an interracial relationship. The thought had never occurred to me, and the idea never really appealed to me. But when, uh, when we got together, there was no, uh, there was no visible color. You know, they always say action speaks louder than words, and I think that's what they were waiting on. And I always have felt that way too, and and that's why I said, you know, I could have, I could have condemned the Klan, the white supremacist movement gone on with my life and just done, done you know just done anything else but were people people were they were they still going to think I was the same person I was probably and I felt at that time I, I felt like I owed it owed it to to the community well, to the world really 
to try to do something to help. I went to every person I could find that I knew and apologized to them. The first door that Scott went and knocked on was Becky's. Becky is a black caretaker who was the first woman to hold Scott when he was born, and she basically served as his second mother growing up. Like I said, not only did she open the door, she opened her arms and her heart and, and, and grabbed me, and I knew I was home then. She played, she, she really played the biggest part in me, you know, changing back to, to who I really was. And when I was in, back in Tennessee, is 2008 is when I got I got sick myself, and I said, you know, I don't want to I don't want to die. People think I'm the same person I, I used to be because I wasn't. So that's when I made the decision to open up. Scott's willingness to disclose his past ignited new conversations and relationships. But I opened up that blog and, and, and listed all this stuff and I was scared. I was really scared to push the button to publish it because I just knew I was gonna get a, a backlash. But I was, I was wrong. I was wrong, I, I hit it and, the, and the, I had so much positive feedback that uh, I knew then I had done the right thing. And when I, of course, when I did that, I met, uh, there was a gentleman that I had known about when I was inside the movement because I thought he was a nut. And his, he was a black musician from Maryland and uh, lives in Silver Springs. And his name's Daryl Davis. My first encounter with the Klansman uh, didn't go so well. I didn't know he was a Klansman. Um, not that it would have mattered. And he saw me and um, I was looking at him and he said, do you want a piece of me, Nick? And I said, absolutely. And he got up and came at me. Daryl's experience with the Klansman was not his first encounter with racism. How I originally got involved in doing this kind of work in race relations, it started when I was a child, when I had some racist experiences that I did not understand. And I formed a question in my mind at the age of 10. That question was, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? And for the next 50 years, I've been seeking the answer. And through those experiences, I've gained a lot of knowledge. And now I consult other people on that. While the relationship between Scott and Daryl is valuable, just check Scott's Facebook to find out. It is simply one of 200 that Daryl has developed through his work as a race relations consultant. As a result of my conversations with uh, numerous clan, clan people, a, a, a good deal of them uh, since resigned from the Klan due to those conversations. Now, you know, I want to be clear. I never converted one person. Yes, I was the impetus for over 200 people leaving the Klan, but they converted themselves. Scott and Duke now lead Reformed Lives. Both hope that the new lives they are leading will be the ones they are remembered for. I, what I see now with the KKK is exactly what they are. They are a domestic terror, terrorist, terrorist group, domestic terrorist group that has one agenda and that's to control, control the world and, and keep it white and a very dangerous organization. And I'm very fortunate that I'm alive and I got out, but I just, I left it up to God. You know, I just knew that I was in a place that I wasn't supposed to be. 
too many people are going to be remembering me as a Nazi leader, and that's not what I want. What I want, I want to be what I am presently. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good provider. I want to be known as the nice neighbor who lives down the block. I absolutely love uh, being a grandfather. I can't deny that. Tilly Marlatt produced this chapter. News 21 fellows Renata Clough, Shelby Knowles, and Liliana Byington contributed to the reporting. Hate in America is part of a larger project produced by Carnegie Knight News 21, an investigative program headquartered at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication in Phoenix, Arizona. This year's project was produced in partnership with ProPublica's Documenting Hate Initiative. To submit a report about a hate incident, visit ProPublica.org.